Begin Podfix Network transmission in three, two, one. What is up, plant people? Hey, today is a Tuesday, the 15th of June, 2021, and we're back with another episode of the Planthropology Podcast, a show where we dive into the lives, careers, and overall coolness of some very cool plant people. I'm Vikram Baligi, your host, and today you're stuck with just me. So, uh, it's summer. I, you know, I, I think uh, technically it's not actually summer yet, but come on. Come on, it's summer, at least in the Northern Hemisphere. And uh, I get a little behind on recording with guests. I think everyone's schedule this time of year, over the past month, really six weeks, has gotten really wild and really crazy. And so uh, I have several people I'm working to coordinate some recording times with. It just hasn't been done yet. So I've decided I was going to do something a little different through the summer, or at least part of the summer. Now, I don't really do the show in seasons, per se, Um, but I thought it'd be kind of fun to take a little bit of a break the next three, four weeks, maybe through the 4th of July or, or the first couple weeks in July and, and just do a little bit of different content. Now I've got a couple of episodes of plants and world traditions, uh, that I'm behind on. So I'm going to catch up on those the next two weeks. But another thing that I was thinking about and talking to a friend about is that I want to start giving you some plant tips. Now we talk to a lot of cool people and they give you lots of very good information about how to grow plants and how to do the plant stuff. Um, but I thought seasonally or just as stuff comes up, it would be fun to do a series of special plant tips episodes. Now, these are going to be pretty short in general, uh, you know, less than 30 minutes, probably closer to 15 to 20 minutes per episode, um, depending on the content and, and the kinds of things I'm trying to get across. But I wanted to talk about Uh, best management practices, things that you can do to be successful in your landscapes and uh, in your homes with your home gardens, your potted plants, whatever else. And uh, so I'm going to start doing this series. So as it's summer, and I believe it's about 100 degrees outside today, maybe not quite, but it's getting close, supposed to be in the hundreds for sure later this week. I think it hit 108 last week, which is absurd because it's only June and we have a lot of summer ahead of us. So today, uh, here in just a minute, we're going to talk about keeping your plants alive through the summer, surviving the summer. Now, again, this is going to be more for my North American friends, or I'm sorry, Northern Hemisphere friends, not just the North American folks. Um, And and, uh, to all my listeners in Australia and everyone in the Southern Hemisphere, I'm sorry. Uh, It's not winter here, but I can do actually maybe, maybe I'll do it next week, a winter tips and fall tips. Um... Uh, episode for y'all and you know then you can just listen to them whenever the appropriate season comes around in fact i think i am gonna do that that sounds like fun so i'm gonna play some music at you and uh we're going to talk about how to survive the summer with your plants Okay. Hey, did I mention it's hot? It's hot. Yeah, so hot. So again, last week, which was uh, at this point like the first full week in June, uh, we hit 108 degrees here in Lubbock, Texas, where I live. That uh, That's Fahrenheit, not 108 degrees Celsius. 
we would I would not be recording a podcast right now. Uh, but 108 degrees Fahrenheit, I believe, is about 40, maybe 41 Celsius. Uh, and that's hot. That's a lot. That's a lot of degrees. And um, our ACs and fans and everything else have been working overtime. In fact, in a greenhouse like I run, in some cases, it's about all we can do during the summer to keep the temperature in these greenhouses below 90 degrees. Sometimes it's impossible. We go over 100 sometimes. That is not ideal for plants. So a lot of things happen to plants when it gets hot. Uh, it's a lot more difficult for them to pull enough water to cool the system to carry out photosynthesis. And what we see is that at high temperatures, the photosynthetic machine that lets plants grow and let lets plants stay alive starts to shut down a little bit. It's less efficient. Um, sometimes we go into photorespiration. Sometimes we get other really bad biological effects due to the heat. So you start to see lots of wilting, uh, lots of leaf burning, leaf firing, things like that. And the plants just are not healthy. Now, there are some plants um, that do absolutely wonderful, wonderful Absolutely wonderful in the heat. I've got a great example. We have a little low tunnel, uh, which is like a seven-foot little hoop house, um, sort of a passive greenhouse uh, out behind our greenhouse complex. And it has a cooling system, uh, but it's not working right now. The fans are old, and they need to be replaced. And so we've kind of just left it open. We're going to try to get it fixed uh, here over the next couple of months. Um, But I took a little thermometer in there, and it was about 146 degrees Fahrenheit in there. I don't know what that is in Celsius. It's a bunch. 56. I don't know. It's a bunch. Um, and that that is not conducive to life in general, really. Uh, but there was some silverleaf nightshade. Now, silverleaf nightshade is a solanum, so it's in the same family as um, like tomatoes and potatoes and peppers and eggplants and stuff. And we don't water in there because uh, there's nothing else happening in there. And it was perfectly happy. I, in fact, I'm, I'm posting a video on my TikTok this evening. So if you're not following me on TikTok at the plant prof, you should. Uh, but I've got a video I'm posting of um, this silver leaf nightshade. Perfectly happy. Perfectly happy. So it's incredible. So some plants are capable of withstanding very high temperatures. But a lot of times the plants that we're choosing for our landscapes, ornamental plants to vegetables, they really struggle in the heat. Now, peppers do pretty well. Eggplants do okay. Okra does well. Tomatoes, not so much. When uh, our temperatures are consistently above 95 degrees during the day, uh, say 70 degrees at night, um, they'll start aborting flowers. The pollen doesn't set correctly. It does. It denatures those proteins, um, and tomatoes really don't do well. So you're just going to try to keep the plants alive through the summer, and then when fall comes back around, they start to do a little bit better. So we wanted to talk, or I wanted to talk, about um, some different things you can do uh, to keep your plants healthy and keep your plants alive during the summer. So the first thing that you need to do is plant the right plants. Now I know, I know how that sounds. Well, okay, I've got plants in the ground. Like what do you, what am I supposed to do? Tear them up? No, no, I, I'm not suggesting that. But, but as you plan for your summer landscape, Start to really think through uh, what you're going to plant, whether it's ornamental plants or vegetables, and look for varieties and look for species that do well in high temperatures, that are drought tolerant, um, that are high temperature tolerant, that can still carry out their biology 
even in um, very hot summer temperatures. Uh, it's interesting the way that plants are named in the trade. So if you're looking for like a variety of um, tomatoes, for example, that are a little more heat tolerant, look for names that bring to mind hot weather. So like solar flare or phoenix or... Uh, uh, sunstorm or sun gold or something like that. A lot of those that sound like they have something to do with the sun, something to do with heat, a lot of times end up being more heat tolerant. And if you read the label of a plant, I'll do a video one of these days on uh, all of my social media outlets about how to read a plant label. I think that's actually really important. Um, but pick a good variety that is able to take your climate. Now, it may be really hot where you are. It may be more moderate and mild where you are. Um, and so this is going to vary. So you need to know as much as you can about the varieties and the species that you're planting in your garden or in your landscape. Read the label. Do a little research. Google the plants that you're going to put in, that you want to put in, and find good varieties or maybe find a good alternate plant. If you want, say, a flowering tree and, you know, magnolias are just not going to cut it in your climate, like they don't really do well here. Maybe think of another medium to large flowering tree like a desert willow or a vitex or something like that that can take the heat, take the drought, and will still do well in this climate. So there's always a plant to fill the niche you want in the landscape. You just have to find the right one. Um, the next thing you need to do is you've got the right plant. You need to put it in the right place. So not all sunlight is created equal. And, and I've said this before. Uh, if you're in a more humid um, environment, the intensity of the sunlight is somewhat attenuated. So for us here in West Texas, you know, we have very low humidity. We're actually at a reasonably high elevation. We're at about uh, 3,300 feet or about 1,000 meters above sea level. And uh, our air is a little bit thinner, not much, but a little bit, and um, it tends to be very dry. And so our sunlight is very, very intense. We get these huge temperature swings, but we get very intense sunlight. So when you read full sun on a plant, what that means is that you want to give it six to eight hours of direct sunlight. Here in West Texas, you could put it out in the ground in a lot of places, and it would get 12 to 14 hours of very intense direct sunlight. Right. So you want to put it in a location in your landscape or in your garden that it gets the appropriate amount of sunlight. Again, full sun is around eight hours of sunlight. Morning sun is best. So if you can um, put it in a place where it gets mostly morning and early afternoon sun, say from like 630 when the sun comes up till oh at 2 p.m., something like that, 3 p.m., and then you give it some shade in the afternoon, that plant is going to do much better. And that's true of everything from cacti. What well, cacti maybe do okay in 14 hours of sunlight. But your tomatoes, your veggies, a lot of your flowering plants for sure. You want to give them some protection from the sun, if possible, during the hottest hours of the day. This can be done by using structures like your your home or a fence or something like that. It can be done with trees. You can build shades and other structures to uh, shade them when necessary. There's a lot you can do, but put your plants in the right environment, in the right place. And again, look at the label. You don't want to put a shade plant in full sun or vice versa. Those recommendations are there for a reason. Um, okay. So you've got the right plant. You've got it in the right place. You need to water it appropriately. Give it the right amount of water. Now, what does that mean? Well, 
Again, it depends very much. For a lot of our fruiting plants and annual plants, you know, somewhere around an inch of water per week um, is appropriate. Well, how much is that? How much is an inch of water? Well, <laughs> that's an interesting question. Um, you can do some precipitation tests if you're using a sprinkler system, put some cans out in the landscape, catch water for 15 minutes, and then multiply by four. And that gives you how much water you're putting out of your sprinkler system in an hour. Then you figure out how many hours or fractions of hours you have to water um, to uh, provide the right amount of water for your plant. Now, I'll say over a thousand square feet, an inch of water is about 625 gallons. So, say you're trying to um, water a 100 square foot garden to an inch, you're going to want to put down about 60 gallons, 65 gallons of water over that area to give it an inch of water. So the best thing you can do, the best way to water your plants is through a drip line or through a hose that's laid on the ground at the base of the plant. You don't want to water the leaves for a couple of reasons. One, wet leaves are a place where disease can get in, where different issues can attack the plant. And also, if you have water sitting on the leaf of a plant on a hot day, you can get something called solar lensing. And you can actually, it works like a magnifying glass. You can get burn spots and sun scald on your fruits and on your leaves, and that's really not good. That's really a problem, right? So don't water during the heat of the day. Water early in the morning or late at night. Early in the morning is really better. If you have a automated sprinkler system, uh, that's great. Set it to water at like 4 a.m. or something uh, for a couple of reasons. The demand is lower. Not as many people are up showering and using water. So the supply is better and you're not going to put as much of a strain on that municipal system or even on your home system if you're on a well or something like that. But also uh, that gives that humidity time to burn off so you don't get you know more disease problems. And it prepares your plant in terms of water status for the heat of the day. So look up how much water your plant needs. Uh, apply it efficiently. Again, a drip line or something that applies water at the surface of the soil is absolutely your best bet. Uh, and then water consistently. Um, uh, so so it, you, you might have seen something called radial cracking or concentric cracking in tomatoes where you get these big like gray-brown cracks that form in the tomato. We see this actually in a lot of fruits. That's caused by inconsistent water where it's dry for a while, maybe too long, and the, the skin of that tomato starts to harden. Then you get a big rainstorm, you water heavily, and that fruit tries to expand and it cracks because that skin is not flexible enough to expand. So get yourself on a watering schedule, whether that's once a week or twice a week or every third day. It should change as it gets warmer. And the best way to water is infrequently and deeply. If you if so, if you need to put out, uh, say, sixty minutes of water in a week. Split that into two 30-minute waterings. Don't do 10 minutes a day. If you do 10 minutes a day, you're just you're just wetting the top couple inches of soil. That causes some problems because that's where all the roots are going to grow. They're going to stay in the top couple inches of soil. Then if drought really hits, if you're not able to water as much, those roots can't go deeper in the soil to find water. But if you split that into two waterings and water heavily, so 30 minutes or 60 minutes or whatever it is, a couple of times a week, you're pushing more water deeper into the soil and you're forcing those roots to go down and get it because soil dries from the top down. And so as it starts to dry up near the surface, because you've got a few days in between waterings, um, it pushes those roots deeper and it makes that plant more resilient to drought. 
and to heat because you've got a deeper, more adapted root system. So, okay, we've covered planting the right plants in the right places. We've covered watering effectively. Um, Let's talk about pruning and maintenance. So with your landscape plants, uh, you want to do a few things. Prune out any dead material in the plant. So uh, that could be deadheading, cutting off spent flowers, um, cutting out dead branches, things like that. Make sure that your plants are well-maintained, that they don't have you know branches that are rubbing against each other too much, that they, they look healthy and that they're well taken care of. Um, for your lawn, uh, you want to make sure you're mowing enough, but raise that mower blade in the summer. Okay, Uh, unless you're putting in your front yard, which I don't recommend, there's no reason to keep your grass at a tenth of an inch or a quarter inch, Uh, regardless of species, even Bermuda grass or uh, zoysia or some of the things that are used on golf courses a lot. You can let them go up to half an inch or an inch. And what that does is provides more of a cooling effect because you have a denser or a, a taller canopy. So it cools the soil better and it establishes a deeper root system. If you think about it, the amount of material above the ground is somewhat representative of the amount of root material below the ground. So a really short grass blade leads to a really shallow root system. So let your grass get a little bit taller in the summer. It's not going to hurt anything, right? And you can reduce your watering that way. You can save water in the landscape. You can save inputs, both in terms of fertilizer, um, fossil fuels for mowing, um, water, and everything else. Right? You're being more conservative in your lawn. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a turf grass guy, right? I've studied turf grass a lot, and so I'm not one to tell you just get rid of your grass. I'm telling you to manage it better right? Manage it better. Leave it taller. Water it less frequently. Make sure you've got a well-adjusted sprinkler system that is only putting water where it needs to go. And um, mow less frequently, mow a little bit higher, and you'll be a lot happier with your landscape. Your, Your turf will be much happier. You'll use less water, and it's more environmentally friendly. Okay, um, and that goes with fertilizing too. Fertilize intelligently, right? Um, a, a lot of times, people will go and buy two bags of fertilizer and put a bag in the front yard in their lawn and their flower beds, and do the same in the back. But the truth is, you don't really know how much your soil needs, how much fertilizer your soil needs, without a soil test. So you can take samples um, from a representative area, right? So if you're trying to test your lawn. Uh, go and pull like six inch deep soil samples from across the lawn uh, and mix them, pull off all the plant material and then mix those soils together, the soil part, the soil samples together. And then do the same in your flower bed and do the same in your vegetable garden. Um, and then take those samples and you can send them to, to soil diagnostic labs. Uh, here in Texas, a lot of cities will have a local lab that does soil testing. And then Texas A&M has one, um, uh, that th- they do as well. So you can mail soil samples to them. Uh, it may cost you about 20 bucks a sample, but if you do it at the beginning of the season, it'll tell you what you need to apply to your lawn and your landscape and your garden, right? So your plants will have the fertility and the nutrients they need to grow healthy and effectively, especially through the summer um, when they really need to be healthy and fit. Uh, and you're not over-applying fertilizers. Over-application of fer- fertilizers uh, often leads to runoff, um, water ending up in waterways, or, or fertilizers ending up in waterways. It, it causes downstream ecological effects. So if we just apply what we need, and we do it right, and we time it well, 
we can really be environmentally friendly and still use our fertilizers and still do the things like that in our landscapes. I recommend backing off on fertility a little bit during the summer because if you're pushing a lot of active growth in your plants, especially in a very hot climate, um, you're making them more susceptible to damage. They're using more resources. So I like to er to fertilize in late spring, early summer, maybe once in the summer, maybe, and then again in early fall. That gives your plants um, really what they need uh, without over applying and without putting it down at times that's going to damage the plants. Weed control is another big thing, okay? So the word weed uh, is kind of loaded, <laughs> well, for a few reasons. But, it, but in the context of the landscape, uh, a weed is just a plant where you don't want it, right? There's no formal definition of a weed. Like you can't say plant A is a weed, plant B is not, right? It's just about context. Now, there are some plants that are incredibly invasive, like say kudzu or uh, tree of heaven or salt cedar or some others uh, that I would call uh, more of a noxious weed across the board, except in their native habitats, right? But when we take these things and put them elsewhere, it can cause problems. But if you're trying to keep, say, plants A, B, and C alive, say you've got petunias, um, tomatoes, and, uh, oh, I don't know, okra in your garden, and you're trying to keep those alive and that's what you want to grow, and there are a bunch of other things that are coming up around them, that's direct competition for resources. So you want to get rid of the plants that are competing with res for resources with the plants that you actually want to keep. Then you can water, fertilize, and everything else more efficiently. You don't have to use as many resources. So I'm not, I'm not one of these to tell you that um, using chemical control is your first option. I think you should adjust the environment to favor the plants that you actually want. I think you should mechanically and physically pull out and remove the plants that you don't want uh, and do everything else um, possible before you spray chemicals. But I think in some cases, uh, our ag chemicals and our landscape chemicals are a tool in the toolbox. You want to use them right uh, according to the label and you want to use them sparingly. You save them as a last resort. Now, if you're trying to, say, um, grow tomatoes in a farm setting and your farm is totally overrun with field bindweed, for example, that's a very aggressive weed here where I live, um, it is tough to manage in a way uh, that is, say, organic or natural, quote unquote, those words don't mean what you think they do, Um without first having a clean slate, right? So what I recommend to a lot of people is use some kind of herbicide to clean out the plants that are going to be problems in your garden, in your production system, in your landscape, and then manage it, uh, um, say, more holistically through integrated management strategies, right? It's a lot easier to pull out, say, maybe 10 bindweed plants than 10,000 bindweed plants. It's just not going to happen. You're not going to be able to do it. And the number of man hours you have to put in to do it is usually not, not practical. So get clean, and then you can manage it um, however you want, as organically or as um, low input as you want. It's like working out, right? Like I'm terribly out of shape right now. And so the process of getting myself back in shape is really going to be tough. It's going to take a lot of work and a lot of effort and a lot of different strategies. But once I'm in shape, maintaining that is a little bit easier. I, I look at weed control or pest control in general the same way. Um, you do what you have to do to get your landscape, your garden, whatever, fairly weed-free, and then you can manage it more holistically. 
Um, the final thing I want to say is get excited for fall. Summer drags on, especially in the part of the world where I live here in Texas. Uh, and, and by August, we are just worn out on summer. But start planning your fall landscape now. Think about the things that you want to start planting in the landscape for, um, you know, September, October, November. What do you want your landscape to look like then? Uh, Because a lot of times our summer, quote unquote, warm season plants may do better in the fall. So for us in my part of the country, I tell people all the time, look, your tomatoes are going to shut down during the summer. The tomatoes just don't like the heat. So you're not going to get a lot of production, but you can keep the plants alive, right? You can keep them going. So as soon as uh, the temperatures cool back down, they'll start producing again. So keep your plants alive through the summer. Um, and then in the fall, they'll come back. Or plan on planting fall tomatoes, right? Start them in the greenhouse or start them in your, your window or your kitchen or wherever in July, grow them out, plant them in mid to late August, and then you'll have tomatoes until first freeze. So get excited about fall. That's one of my best tips for surviving the summer. So what tips do you have? Send them in. I'll, I'll do a follow-up to this. I'll post some videos with your tips and tricks. But uh, I hope you enjoyed this. I hope this was helpful. Again, I'm trying to keep these short, so I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up. Um, but thanks for listening. Thanks for all the support. I'll have some more interviews for you coming in July. But until then, I'm going to have some different kinds of content for you to listen to. So thanks, as always, to the Texas Tech Department of Plant and Soil Science for supporting the show. Thank you for listening and supporting. If you want to support the show monetarily, head over to patreon.com slash planthropology. Um, you certainly don't have to do that right? That is not something I require of anyone. This show will always be free and it'll always be something that you can listen to and get, hopefully get something out of, uh, follow on social media. Um, we're on Instagram, Facebook, um, and Twitter. Just search for Planthropology. look for the bristlecone pine and that's where we'll be. Um, and, uh, if you want to find the rest of my self-respect that I had left, head over to TikTok. I'm at the plant prof. And if you want to leave a rating and review for the show, my birthday's in two weeks and that would be a great birthday present for me. Head over to Apple iTunes, Apple iTunes, Apple podcasts, whatever, uh, drop a hopefully five star rating, a rating and a review, take a screenshot of it and send it to me with your address and I'll mail you a sticker pack as soon as my new stickers come in. So y'all are the best. I love you folks lots. And I will talk to you next week. You've been listening to a podcast of the Podfix Network. Discover more audible gems like this at podfixnetwork.com. Make sure to catch up-to-the-minute network shenanigans by following at Podfix on Twitter, official underscore Podfix on Instagram, at Podfix Network on Facebook. And make sure to subscribe to Podfix Presents wherever you choose to find podcasts. The Podfix Network, artist owned and loved.